Welcome to the Food and Beverage Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. It's not uncommon to see a chef behind the counter wearing a t-shirt and a baseball cap nowadays. It's not particularly wrong, but it does reflect a change within the culinary industry, a change that's shying away from some of the more traditional disciplines, and rather quickly, too. Here to talk to us about the erosion of culinary discipline and culture and some ways that the food and beverage industry is combating that is Andre Natera, executive chef for the Fairmont Austin. Andre, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm great. Uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So you work at the Fairmont Austin and y'all just opened up about three months ago. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, we opened up uh, just right during South by maybe maybe a few days prior to South by Southwest here in Austin, uh, just just in time to uh, have some rooms ready for them. Yeah, perfect. I mean, how, what has that experience been like being so fresh? Uh, you know, it's it's great. You know, we uh, we started a, a hotel from the ground up, and I was part of the pre-opening team. Um, and, I, and I think the, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit, but the most important thing that I realized was uh, creating a work environment and, and and a company culture that people wanted to work for was almost more important than the food. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like an inspiring culture or just a, a workspace that feels fun and inviting to go to every day no matter what industry you're working in, is going to produce a more quality product. I definitely agree there. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 been it's been a little bit of a whirlwind. So we're three months in, but uh, the hotel is running like a well-oiled machine, I would say, so far. And that's all you can hope for, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's dive right into the main topic of the hour. Uh, I really want to talk to you about this idea of the erosion of culinary discipline and culture. I'm sort of interested to know what you mean by that and kind of some of the reasons why you think that's happening. Um, you know, I, I think uh, if, if we're going to talk about culinary discipline and, and you know, maybe I should validate that statement just just a little bit. Um, when I'm referring to discipline, I, I mean it like in terms of the discipline to wake up every morning and go to the gym or the discipline to eat healthy. I don't necessarily mean it in terms of discipline that uh, you know, you're being scolded and, or, or belittled and, and yelled at and put in the corner. Sure. Um, and, you know, th- this business that we're in, especially uh, so much of what we do is based on how we do things and repetition and, and, and being technically good at something. Um, and in order to get technically good at something, whether it's whether it's a, whether it's a sport or an art, um, it requires repetition and discipline. Um, and I and so when I'm referencing discipline in, in the culinary world, that's really what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about the discipline to do things right and the attention to detail, um, and and really having excellence in mind and all the little small movements that one makes in the kitchen um, that really will set them apart. Um, and when we talk about the erosion of culinary culture, um, you know, a few years ago, if, if, even if we said maybe five years ago, you started to see chefs um, start to wear a baseball cap and you, you maybe you started seeing a T-shirt here and there. Um, but if you go into restaurants nowadays, you know, you, you, you can't distinguish the chefs from the guests a lot of times um, because they look they look like the people that uh, that that they're serving. Um, and not that that's a bad thing. Um, 
but there's a lot of there's a lot of culture and heritage that went into the professionalism of the industry. So the uniform that we wear, why we wear it that way, how it looks, uh, maintaining a clean apron and maintaining a clean chef coat, and a lot of the a lot of those those things that history, that culture, that those things that uh, that nostalgia of being a chef is kind of eroded away and, and rather quickly. So. When you do wear a chef coat and, and you look professional and 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 uh, you 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 look like the chef, uh, you kind of stand out now. It's 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 quite the opposite. Where before before it was easy to stand out wearing a a t shirt and a and a baseball cap in the kitchen, and you know, everyone flocked to see who's who's the guy that was being rebellious, uh, wearing wearing uh you know you know wearing a t shirt and a ball cap. Where now I think it's just the opposite. Where who's why, why is that guy wearing a chef coat? Why why does he look different? Why is he wearing a clean pressed apron? You know, there's something classy about that. It's uh, you know, respecting the uniform. And what do you think has been an influence to that degradation of the history and the culture in the culinary world? Um, you know, I, I feel like even on a lot of the big TV shows that you see, I mean, like I'm I'm a big Gordon Ramsay fan. I'm not I'm not going to say he's like the perfect representation of the culinary world, but he is a great chef. And I mean, his shows, he always. Uh, definitely puts a lot of emphasis on that culture, that idea of showing up and being clean and efficient in the kitchen. So what what, what do you think is actually pushing that further away? Why do you think the discipline is lacking? Why do you think people are starting to show up in T-shirts and a hat? Um, I, I think it's because um – it's easier. It's the path of least, least resistance is, is probably a, a pretty good answer. It's, it's easier to just show up and, and not have to shave or, you know, to not have to, uh, to press your chef coat. It's, uh, it's easier to just put on a baseball cap and a t-shirt. It's, it's more comfortable. It's, uh, it's not challenging. It's, it's not, it's non-restrictive. Um, to have the discipline to wake up every morning and, and, uh, make sure your chef coat is pressed or to make sure that you're, um, you know, that your, that your pants are clean or to make sure that your apron is, is neatly folded and pressed. Um, it requires just a little bit more effort. It's a little bit more difficult. It's, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's not as easy. Now, in addition to that, you have the whole industry as, uh, you know, and when I reference the industry, I mean, uh, media. So, you know, what we want to glamorize is we want to glamorize the chef that has, um, the ball cap and the and the and the t-shirt and and the hand handmade apron. Um, we want to glamorize that and put that guy on the pedestal and put him up front or or, or girl, um, and that's great. But what ends up happening is that the young culinarians, um, much like when you were a kid and you bought Nikes because you thought you'd run a little bit faster uh, if you, if you wore the shoes, um, these kids that look up to these chefs think, well, if I you know wear the t-shirt, if I wear the hat. Um, yeah, you know, I'll become a better cook. It's it's more about fitting the role of of more than it, it's almost more important to fit the role and the look and have and have the image than it is to actually uh, do the job because you know the job's a lot more difficult than the than the look. Definitely, I mean, it, it sounds like it sounds like this influence is really coming from the top down. You know, and it's not like a movement of chefs deciding we are all just going to show up to work more casually and no one tells them any different. It seems like the whole culture around you know, being in the culinary industry is starting to lean more more casual. Like you said, it's coming more from the the media portrayal side of everything. Yeah, and and it's not to say that that's a bad thing. You know, there's some phenomenal chefs out there. Um, you know, Sean Brock, for example, I think was you know, was a great chef, um, phenomenal. Um, 
and he was really one of the first ones that started showing up in a in a in a, in a baseball cap. I, I at least in my in my memory, he showed up with a baseball cap and a t shirt. And um, but he was a phenomenal chef who paid his dues, and um, you know, was an excellent cook. But but everyone you know jumping on that bandwagon doesn't necessarily speak to to their culinary skills. Um, and I think he earned the right to be able to do that and to stand out as an individual and, and, and be a trendsetter and be a pioneer. And for what his business was, I think it made a lot of sense. Um, however, it doesn't make sense for every single business. And, and I think that's kind of the direction that I see most, uh, most of the culinary industry going. It's, it's, it's become kind of uh, it's become cookie cutter, not non-original. So if we're seeing big name chefs sort of, change up the culture of what it means to be a good chef. You know, you don't have to show up in in the regalia, you know, in in the clean pressed apron. You can show up in your shirt and your hat and still do a good job. Do you think that's having somewhat of a negative effect on younger chefs that are looking to come into the industry? I mean, do you think that that culture and that that idea of discipline is essential to being a quality chef? Um, yes. And, and I, I do think it is, I think the discipline is necessary to be a quality chef. Um, because eventually there becomes a point, there becomes a point in a lot of people's careers where they, they mature and they grow up. Um, and, and I, and I think what we're going to see, I think we're going to, I think we're on the cusp of that. Um, a lot of the chefs that started, um, with the, with the boom of the food network and with the boom of culinary school, um, a lot of them were cooks and young chefs. Um, and I think a lot of those chefs now are starting to grow up. They're starting to have families and they're starting to become just a little bit more mature and they don't always want to wear a T-shirt and a ball cap anymore. Um, and, and so you're starting to see, um, I, I think you're going to see an evolution you know, over the next couple of years, maybe going backwards um, in, in the sense of traditionalism, of the way of the look and the way that the kitchen is ran. However, it won't be the same. It'll be a, it'll be a different version of what was, I think. And so how are people trying to maintain that culture and that discipline? Um, you know, how, how are chefs out in the world trying to instill that idea of tradition and that that sense of some personal responsibility over your look and your efficiency within the kitchen? How are they trying to keep that for younger chefs who are coming into the industry? You know, as I looked as I looked at my career objectively, and I looked I looked at uh, you know why I was successful sometimes and why I was not successful other times. You know, I kind of had a, an up and down career where, you know, I felt like sometimes I was on top of the world, and you know, a couple of years later, I felt like I had to reinvent myself and then back on top of the world and then have to reinvent myself. And I've and I've gone through this cycle just a few times. Um, and as I looked at it really objectively, I said, well, why? What, what was, what was, why was I successful here, but not successful there? Because in theory, I was technically a better cook with every job that I got. I learned more. I was better. I was, I was more seasoned as a chef. Um, but I, what I realized was it was the way that the culture and the kitchen was ran. It had nothing to do with my culinary ability. It had more to do with how I ran the kitchen. And in the places where the culture was great, um, and positive and engaging, I was very successful in, in, in the places where the culture was negative, um, and, and, uh, you know, not ran efficiently. Um, I was not successful. Um, so that's, that's really where I came up, uh, in, in my own mind that the, the, the really what was defining my success was the culture in the kitchen and how I managed it. Um, 
so I, I started to put a lot of thought behind it and say, okay, how do we how do we create an environment and what what variables do we need to minimize to um, to have an environment where people can succeed and and uh, and grow. Um, and I started to think about all the things early in my career that made me successful. And I and I came up in the traditional kitchens where you you know you wore the the tall white toque and the cravat and the necktie and and uh, pressed white apron and we had fingernail inspections and uniform inspections and. Um, and and it, it was brutal, and the, and the chef was a tyrant back then. And I said, well, uh, the discipline, what I remember, was great. However, the the tyrant wasn't so great. So I said, well, you know, there has to, there has to be a there has to be a middle ground here. How do you instill the discipline without being a tyrant? Um, and that seemed to be the the real challenge. So um, what I what I started to think is I wanted to standardize everything. Um, and, and I looked at some of the best kitchens and, and I had chefs around me that came from some of the best kitchens in the world. And, and I asked the question, you know, uh, what what makes the best kitchens in the world, whether we're talking about the French Laundry or 11 Madison Park um, or, or Noma, what, make, what makes restaurants like that great? What, what do they do? What's their secret? Um, and as I talked to people who worked in those kitchens, they, they they all seemed to have the same answer. There was really no magic tricks. There, it, it wasn't that they knew anything different about food than we did. Um, they were just extremely disciplined about everything, down to the smallest detail. Um, everything from the way that they, uh, you know, the, the way that they label things very straight, the way that they folded their towels. Um, there was a method to every single thing. So I started putting a lot of those systems and practices in place in my own operation to you know, the way that every every person that works for me, we all fold our towels the same way. We all roll our apron the exact same way. We all place our knife uh, at a 90 degree angle. Everything is uh, the term that we use is covered and aligned. And it's a military term. Everything's straight and covered. Uh, the tape is cut straight. It's no more than two inches. The labels all look exactly the same. Uh, the brunoise is cut exactly the same from cook to cook. Everything, everything down to the smallest detail was managed. Um, and, and what I, what I found in doing that is uh, people liked it. People liked doing everything the exact same way. And as more people were introduced into a system like this, um, they they were embracing it. They didn't want to be the odd man out. So everyone here folds their towels and their aprons and cuts a certain way. Well, I don't want to be the one person that's different. I, I adapt to the system much quicker than the than the people who came before me. Um, and what ended up happening is I, I started to notice that uh, as we toned down a lot of the noise, uh, the noise being the variables of the dirty workstations or the dirty apron or the or the non. Um, the non-perfect dice as we turned down the noise and everything started to become consistent what we ended up happening is real creativity was able to take place on the plate um, because you didn't have all the other distractions there um, and everyone was kind of going the same way so now we were able to focus on the food um, and i would say that uh at least in my mind um and and from the probably from the word of my staff is that the culture and the discipline that, that we've instilled into the kitchen is probably the best thing about working right now. Currently at the Fairmont Austin is that everyone, everyone is so engaged with the culture, every single cook down to the, down to the dishwasher. When they wake in, walk in, I'm sorry, uh, they shake hands. And when they leave, they shake out. So every, we have the shake in and shake out policy. Um, and, and the idea behind that is uh, you start the day as a professional, um, and in between, sometimes things happen, but at the end of the day, you end the day as a professional um, and bringing back, back that sense of professionalism and, and understanding that, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're professionals at the end of the day and we're going to shake hands um, regardless of what happens. And we're going to everything is important down to how we fold our apron, um, because if you can have attention to detail into folding your towel or cutting your tape straight or shaking hands a certain way, 
then you're definitely going to have attention to detail on how the food looks. So really the secret sauce here, I guess, you know, pun intended, um, would be not necessarily the aesthetic that, you know, you have to show up in in the certain apron. Um, it has to be clean just because that's the way it's supposed to be. It's really the idea of instilling the idea of wanting that discipline, of a team effort, of collaboration, and of it being, you know, a, a group effort. Um that is really what sets apart a disciplined kitchen versus a non-disciplined kitchen. So really you could have everyone walking in in jeans, t-shirt, and a baseball cap. But if they're all on the same page and they're all disciplined about what they're putting out and walking in and exiting as a professional, then the quality of the food is going to increase. Exactly. So uh, one of my chefs just came back from Noma, the, you know, what was at one point the number one restaurant in the world. And he went out there to do a little sabbatical and, um, Really, what what he wanted to go and learn was, you know, what what are the secrets in their culture that I could bring back? Um, so when he came back, you know, we were talking about the uniforms that they wear, and he said, you know, they all wear t-shirts. I said, oh, really? Um, and he says, yeah, but they all have to wear the same t-shirt, and they all have to be clean t-shirts. Um, so again, it, it's it, it it's not that the problem is the t-shirt. It, it the problem is. Um, showing up with a dirty T-shirt, <laughs> or showing up with a wrinkled apron, and not having not having pride in everything that you're doing, and I think it, um, I, I think that it's okay to have some of these things. But yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's about um, everyone having the common voice and ha- having one voice and doing things one way, and understanding that uh, that we're going to grow together as a team, and no one's left behind. I think uh, you know cooking is a team sport, and uh, yeah, you have the chef, and maybe the chef is the quarterback, but it's still a team sport, and and uh, um, a chef can only do great food if the team around them can do great food. Right. And, you know, I feel like setting that culture is so important, but teaching it is a whole nother thing. And that's got to be tough. You know, how do you as a chef or how have you seen other executive chefs in their kitchens try to teach that discipline at an, you know, in an efficient way? Because really getting all those little things down must take a lot of time. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's 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 not easy. I'll tell you that, but uh, it's become easier. And and I think, um, well, there's there's two ways. There's the to teach it from scratch. So I had to do it two ways. I had to teach it from scratch from the beginning. We had to open a hotel with this culture, and then as new people come in, we have to teach them the culture. So uh, teaching it from scratch was, you know, we had to clearly. Uh, identify what those things that were non-negotiable to us, uh, what was going to be those standards, what was going, what was that discipline going to look like? That was number one. And there was a lot of sessions and there was constant gentle pressure to, you know, use that phrase of, you know, nope, do it this way. Nope, do it this way. And, and we were like sharks correcting every little thing that was uh, a deviation from the system. Um, and, and, you know, my, my chefs, and we have a very large team. I have about 20 sous chefs that, that are on board with me. Um, so, Constantly correcting things to do things the right way was was number one. So once everyone got in the system, it was um, I, I did a, an experiment with some of my cooks that have been here, uh, you know, for the last six months, even through pre-opening. Um, and I said, hey, I want you to do something. Go back into your kitchen, um, unfold your towel, unwrinkle your apron and uh, go in with a floppy uh, uh, chef coat, meaning the top button is not buttoned. And I said, I want to see how long. Um, before someone corrects you. I want to see if it's going to be a chef that corrects you or, or a line level colleague. And they were cringy. They, yeah. they couldn't do it. They, it was like, it was like asking them to, uh, you know, run nails on a chalkboard, uh, fingernails on a yeah. chalkboard. They were cringing. They were, they were squirming in their seats. They said, chef, you really want to do this? I said, yeah, I want to see what happens. Um, so when I went back to him, I said, how long 
before someone corrected you, they said 10 seconds. As soon as we walked in, everyone looked at us and said, why is your coat unbuttoned? What are you doing? Stop immediately. What, what are you doing? <laughs> and they said, chef told us to do it. Don't yell at us. Um, <laughs> but, but, but it was so funny that uh, number one, that they, it was uncomfortable for them to do it because it, now it's, it was almost part of their DNA. Number one. Uh, but number two, everyone just kind of looked at them like something is just out of place. It would it'd be the equivalent if, if you walked in uh, to your home and your couches were upside down, you would say, what is going on here? Um, so that, that, was, that was really a great social experiment. Definitely. And it, it really goes to show that when everyone's on the same page, people keep each other accountable, not in a, not in a degrading way or in a, oh, look at you, you're not – you know, you're not doing everything correct. Like, shame on you. It's more of a helping your peers, right? And keeping them up to speed. It's like, hey, I just noticed you, your coat is a little dirty. You might want to clean that up before someone yells at you about it. You know, it, it's that collaborative team effort. Everyone wants everyone else to succeed. Uh, you're right. That culture is really going to help everything flourish in the kitchen. Yeah, and and so to your to the second part of your question, how do how do you how do you maintain it, especially when new people new people come in? Right. Um, so when new people come in, you know, right away, they, they start noticing, hey, what, you know, why is everyone folding their towels? And when they leave, there's wrinkled. Someone quickly comes up to them and says, nope, nope, this is how we stack our towels here. Um, so they quickly, you know, they, they start doing things just without, without knowing, almost intuitively. They just start, they just start falling in line. It's, it's very interesting. I'm sure there's lots of psychological experiments that, that we could reference that would, uh, that would show why it works. Um, but the other thing is, is telling people why. Okay. Uh, this is why we fold our towel that way is because, you know, you get an exponential amount uh, more uses out of it versus, you know, if you leave it kind of, you know, wrinkled up. And by the way, we call it towels versus rags. Um, right. We don't call them kitchen rags. We call them kitchen towels because, uh, you know, what would you do with a towel versus a rag? Um, you know, you would throw a rag in the trash and you, would, you know, you would fold the towel and keep it nice and neat. And, you know, that comes from uh, uh, the Thomas Keller restaurant group, which one of our chefs came from there and, and brought that with them and said, you know, they they refer to them as towels, not rags. And I thought it was a, a brilliant idea. And I said, yeah, we'll we'll implement that into our culture and, and uh, explaining to people why I think is part of it. So they say, oh, these aren't just arbitrary decisions that the chef made because, you know, he likes towels folded. No, there, there's a reason why, because you get you get issued out three towels a day and, and you need to maintain them throughout your shift. So if you could have them, you know, throughout the entire shift without getting them dirty, uh, great. So everything has a purpose and everything has a reason as to why we do it. Yeah, definitely. Well, I feel like you really hit everything there and helped us better understand why maintaining that culture within the kitchen is so important and so beneficial to the chefs. Um, so before we wrap up here, you know, I kind of want to hit on one more topical thing. It's kind of hard to ignore the fact that Anthony Bourdain's death really shook up the culinary world. And so I want to know, you know, how did you react to that? Um, and how do you think it's reflective of maybe some of the issues within the culinary world, um, stuff that really hits home for chefs? Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's tragic and it's, and it's sad to see. And, and uh, you know, I, I haven't looked into it too much. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've read some things on the Internet about there being mental illness and depression involved, um, which is a very real thing, especially in this industry. Um, you know, I, I know many chefs, uh, uh, you know, that have lost lost themselves in, in this business. It's a it's a demanding business. And um, there's a lot of mental illness that goes around. You know, vices are easy to pick up, whether it's, you know, uh, alcohol or drugs or, you know, uh, pick your poison. It, it, it runs uh, rampant in, in, in the food and beverage world. And it's and because it's it's 
easy access. You you have access to uh, that kind of stuff. You know, your your alcohol is is there. You know, um, um, drugs are usually available, um, and and you want to you want to steer clear of that. And uh, it, it was it was tragic. It was tragic, and I would say that as as a whole, the industry needs to clean itself up a little bit. Um, easier said than done. And I'm not sitting here saying I know the answer uh, because I don't. And, you know, I've, I've I've had my own share of of, uh, of of issues that I deal with. I'm far from perfect as well, but um, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, it's tragic, and I and I would say that uh, it, it was a, it was a good wake up call for the industry for people to realize that that uh, mental illness does exist out there, and, and people, uh, regardless of of success or stature, um, it affects everybody. And, and uh, um, working on yourself is almost more important than uh, you know than the dollar. And if if you need help, go get it. Yeah, and well, I, I think everything that we've said up until this point about building that workplace culture and about everything being a collaborative team effort. I feel like if chefs and the culinary industry keep pushing for that in all kitchens, that idea of everyone has each other's back and, you know, we have high standards, but it's not it's not a tyrannical thing. It's um it's a culture thing. It's a discipline thing and we're all here to help lift each other up. I feel like putting that culture in place is really going to you know, help clean up some of those issues within the culinary industry. And hopefully people, you know, come out of it um, feeling uh, a little better and a little more supported. Yeah. You know, cooking is not a something for nothing deal, unfortunately. You know, you, you can't jump in and, and uh, um, become a chef uh, without exchanging something else for it. Um, you know, it usually involves long hours and, uh, you know, stress. So, you know, what, what do you, what do you exchange it on the other end for those long hours of stress? Uh, there's, there's something to go with the sacrifice, right? Um, same thing with when you're learning the skill, you, you can't just jump in and, and, uh, skip a few positions to become the executive chef or, you know, the, the chef de cuisine of a restaurant. Everyone wants that position and it seems very glamorous and it, Everyone looks at that and say, "Oh, that—that's what I aspire to be. I want—I want more of what that guy has." And then you get there and you say, "Oh God, why did I—why did I get here? I want—I want, I want I take it all back. I, I just want to be a line cook again." Right. Um, and and it's 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 really interesting. It's not a something for nothing deal because at some point you pay. You, you either pay in your personal life, or you, you know maybe maybe you have some uh, you know, some skeletons in the closet, or you're dealing with internal demons, or, or, or what, like you know uh, mental illness or alcoholism that that uh, seems to go with it. Or you know maybe you pay for it on the other end where you skip a couple of positions that you weren't you're not necessarily qualified for the job. And now you you've pigeonholed yourself into a job and you can't take a step backwards to learn again because. Uh, because you've, you're embarrassed to say, you know what, I, I don't know something. I skipped over this step, um, and now now my career is stuck. Right. Yeah. It's it's that idea of being self aware, and um, you know, being honest with yourself about what kind of goals you need to meet. And I think that plus the workplace culture will help produce better chefs. So Andre, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and helping us better understand some of this idea of that you know, cultural and disciplinary degradation within the culinary industry, but ways that people are fighting back against it and trying to make it an inclusive and collaborative space. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. And thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Till next time.